We are live. Welcome to this morning's Freedom Series uh, interview. Today, I'm super grateful and humbled to have Michelle Masters on the call all the way here from uh, the USA. Michelle's an international best-selling author, has been in personal development training and coaching since 1995. Michelle's work is innovative blend of, I guess, neuroscience-based change techniques, family constellations work, quantum healing modalities, and combines a profound understanding of what creates transformation and lasting change. Michelle has been nicknamed the coach's coach because so many of her top coaches and speakers in the world have trained and worked with Michelle and certainly uh, how we met many, many years ago. Yes. Michelle, welcome to the show this morning. How are you doing? Oh, good. It's so good to be with you, Barry. So, so, so grateful to have you here. Michelle, this started in 1995, but I've got a feeling it started long before that. Can you kind of talk us through, like, how did you find your way to where you are today? <laughs> well. What I found in 1995 was actually a really good fit because, yeah, it started a long time ago. And to say when it started, you know, that's quite open to debate whether we're going to go pre-birth or not, right? <laughs> but it, when I found the work that I do, it was a really good fit. Like I learned it really fast because it felt more like remembering than learning. Yeah. It's like, I think I knew this. I think I knew this. But the, the changes ha worked on me. And if they'll work on me, they'll work on almost anybody because I had serious issues and I knew it. I just didn't know what to do about them, you know, until yeah. I found this. So, um, but yeah, I had such a, a winding road before I got here just because I think I wasn't old enough yet to be working with people. And so I basically needed to wander till I was about 30, 30 ish before I was really mature enough yeah. to be able to begin to do this work with people. Wow. Interesting. And um, look, if you're watching us live today on any of the multiple platforms, welcome. Uh, so great you're here. I'm going to recommend that you shut down all other apps, turn your phone on silent and watch this because every time me and Michelle catch up, I always get tons and tons and tons of feedback of people that have breakthroughs. And as we've been sharing a lot through this live series, like my, my honest belief is that we don't have business problems. We have personal problems that get expressed through our business. And I talk a lot about this in my book, like, you know, the whole way through and why I think we've been getting the feedback in the book we have is we don't just talk strategy, we talk the psychology matched with the strategy. And I want to dive deep into that with Michelle, because, you know, for me, my journey started a little bit before I, I met Michelle, but certainly meeting uh, her and her, her, her partner, Carl uh, Buchheit as well, was a massive transformation in my own personal journey, and one in which I, I think I'm still very much reaping the rewards of the, the great work that we did together. So please, throughout this, hit, hit below, uh, put any comments you've got, any questions you've got, so we can help you guys to make a breakthrough as well. So, Michelle, what gets us stuck? How many business owners that are like working ridiculous hours, doing a million things, and they just can't seem to get a break? Yeah, there's three main things that keep people stuck. And the first is unconscious beliefs, kind of garden variety beliefs. Beliefs like you have to work hard to make money right? You've got to do this to make money. You've got, to, you've got blood, sweat, toil, tears. So all those kind of beliefs, money doesn't grow on trees. There's not enough for everybody. All these beliefs that fuel competition mm -hmm. as though there is not enough mm -hmm. and a whole lot of zero sum thinking. Like, you know, if you're not familiar with zero sum, let me just sum it up this way. No pun intended. If there's 10 cookies on a plate and I take four, which, by the way, shows remarkable restraint on my part. <laughs> it only leaves six for everybody else, right? That's zero-sum thinking. Yeah. Whereas if you go stand out in the sun 
you're not making the world darker for everybody else. If you soak up sunlight, you didn't take that sunlight away from everybody. That's a non-zero sum, right? And so there's all kinds of belief around scarcity, lack, zero sum thinking, undeserving. You got to work hard to deserve it. That's the first main way people get stuck. We're not doing it consciously. Those things run on autopilot for us. Yeah. Yeah. There's no good employees out there. No one can do as well as I can. Everyone on high will let me down. Like all those yep. sorts of stuff that we get faced yep. with. Yeah. That's just what you have to do to and in business, you know, yep. all that kind of stuff. Those are your kind of basic beliefs. Then you've got beliefs about self, which a lot comes down to your sense of your own worth. Because very few people have a really full sense of their worth. Yes. And I don't mean arrogance. Like somebody who actually has a, a real true sense of their worth isn't arrogant. No. I got a redwood tree in my front yard. It's a couple hundred years old. It is not questioning, am I, is, it, is it okay for me to be this big? Am, am, I, am, I taking up, am I taking up too much sunlight? Like it's not a problem. It's not arrogant. So like I deserve all the sunlight. It just is, right? Yeah. But all of nature is that way. We're the only ones who really question our worth. And it makes us crazy. Yeah. And we will not let ourselves have more than we think we deserve. So if we get more than we think we deserve, we'll find a way to get it to go away or blow up some other area of our life. Yeah. Or we'll punish ourselves until we think we've punished ourselves enough that now we deserve it. And then the third way, and we can talk more about any of these if you want. Third way is probably the least well-known and the hardest thing to shift and the biggest obstacle which is something called unconscious family loyalties. And these are ways in which we limit the good that comes to us because out of love and loyalty to the people we come from. And, and an area that, that typical life coaches aren't trained to right. work in, which is why, and I remember this is a breakthrough for me many, many years ago when we did some constellation work, is that <laughs> you know many people will kind of like repeat patterns thinking that, oh, like I haven't addressed that belief pattern not realizing that there's some form of unconscious family loyalty running that has not even been observed or noticed or seen yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I was working with a guy, an Australian guy one day, and he said to me, it's like I'm trying to get my business to fail. And all my alarms went off. And I said to him, I said, whose business failed? And he looked at me and he went, oh, my dad's. Like he'd never even put that together, but because his dad's business had failed, he was trying, not, not consciously, that would be crazy, but unconsciously, he was trying to get it to tank. Mm. It, his dad failed, and so he would fail. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's very interesting and something I can relate to both in my own journey personally, what I've been through to get here, but also a lot of clients I've worked with. I'm, I'm curious to know this worth thing, number, point number two you spoke about. Do you feel that's something that comes online like after you've started to address a lot of these belief systems or is it possible for the worth to come on board beforehand? Well, most of your beliefs are in place by three, pretty much all of them by six. Your beliefs about your worth are pretty much done by age three. Mm. Those are set for the most part by three. Yeah. And so how much you think you deserve, how worthy you think you are is pretty much done by three. Now imagine a three-year-old who truly is unworthy. Like what would that even look like? I can't even imagine, right? But those decisions have been made. And sometimes it's because we're treated like we're not worth much. And sometimes we're actually with very loving people, but because they don't have a sense of their worth, they can't really give us a sense of our own. Because mm. even if you tell a kid, oh, you're amazing, you're wonderful, you give them a trophy every day of the week, Kids respond more to how their parents feel, how they vibrate, 
kind of the emotional sea they live in than the words. Mm. And so if a parent is swimming in a sea of, of they're not worthy, the kid can't help but swim in that sea with them. It makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And coming back to what you said too, like it's really interesting, especially the last sort of six months, seeing a lot of people struggle mm-hmm. and seeing a lot of people kind of hit their head against a bit of a brick wall and, and face almost this stuckness, yeah. right? And and what I've noticed is there's kind of, there's three schools, but the two main schools is the ones that are, that are seeing it, observing it. They're also, they're seeing it optimistically and they're seeing it pessimistically and then they're making a decision in the middle which way do I choose to show up in the current environment versus uh, the kind of second school, which is like, oh, there's so much opportunity around and there's almost this spiritual bias around like not focusing on the fact that, no, there's some serious shit going on right now. Or there's the other side, which is like, oh, my God, like the whole world's crashing down, the economy's shit, my business is failing, blah, 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 blah. Like how do we start to, I guess, build a robust mindset to, because let's be honest, like challenge and adversity always exist and our perception I guess, allows us to, to some degree, navigate that better. Because from my perspective, challenge and opportunity is a perception. There's things that are going on, but it's the meaning we assign to it that really, I guess, causes into action, inaction. See, here's the thing. I, I, I'm not sure I agree with challenge and adversity always exist because those in and of themselves, they have meaning attached. Like, again, the redwood tree in my front yard is not thinking about challenges and adversity. Mm. Right, so there's meaning that's built into the words that challenge and adversity. Yeah. And so we can't help but see things through the filter of our beliefs. But one of the things about the time we're in right now is uh, there's a huge amplification going on. Yeah. And so if you're someone who's got a lot of fear stuff running, that's going to be going off the charts right now. If you've got something else running, that's going to get amplified. There's a cycle of an intense amplification right now. So what it's doing is, if you're in a lot of fear, you're going to be in a ton of fear right now. For those of us who don't run a lot of fear, what it's doing is it's putting pressure on any place that's not up to code with the rest of us that's moved out of fear. It's a real blessing in that everything that's up for revision is getting amplified. Yeah. Right. All the racial tension is getting amplified because it's up for revision. It's not congruent anymore with who we're becoming. And the fear as well, the fear is not congruent with who we're becoming. And so it's all coming up en masse for this huge, huge expansion into the beauty that's coming. And it's coming. Yeah. It's just a question of how quickly and how smoothly, right? Yeah. Well, I guess it comes back to the other thing. And maybe maybe I didn't language it correctly, but I guess the, the, the challenge of adversity is always there, meaning if we have a belief or we have a viewpoint of being that, I guess mm-hmm. for me, like I grew up overly optimistic. And so I was <laughs> way, way the other way. And then it was like I hit 18 years old. And I think a lot of my, my patterning came up for revision. You know, a yep. lot of stuff that I'd suppressed my whole life, being too overly optimistic, which is the way that I coped with, with my childhood and, and what I was faced with at school. Then I went through a very dark time of right. like noticing a lot of this challenge diversity. Again, like it was my, it was my lens on, mm-hmm. on life. Um, till I could move to a point where it's like, hang on, both exist or neither exist. It's, it's, it's me that's creating it so. Can you kind of talk a little bit around like this stuff coming up to be revised? And what I mean by that is obviously we go through these experiences from birth or even earlier than birth. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the unconscious family loyalties that are even before before that. Right. 
we kind of reach points in life where in some ways like our system starts to you know, push out or reject or show us this patterning that's maybe not serving us. Many business owners that kind of like they see it and they try to push it back down. Well, yeah, because the thing about almost all the things that are in our way, almost all of them are not conscious. Yeah. If they were conscious, you would have changed them already. Yeah. You can notice your computer is running a software issue, but if you don't know how to rewrite software, you're kind of screwed. Mm. So most of us think if we notice a pattern, well, then it should be different, but that's not how our system is, is designed. Our system is designed to be very difficult to update. Like unlike your phone, we are not designed to update ourselves. Like our brain is not designed to do that. And as a matter of fact, it's got a lot of settings in there. It's like, no, no, don't touch that dial. Because I mean, and there's a certain logic to it. You don't want people messing around in there willy nilly. But it's also a limitation when you have to spend the rest, the, like the last 60, 70, 80, 90 years of your life dealing with the consequences of the first three to six like that. That's not right either. So yeah. we finally have some tools to be able to rewrite that software from a place of maturity and choice. But to do it, you have to know how to do it. Again, you, mm -hmm. can't, you can't use willpower to get your software and your computer to change, and you can't use willpower to get the software in your head to change either. This is what people try. Like, I'm going I'm really, to knuckle down. I'm going I'm to do it. And that's like trying to not blink when somebody throws something at your head. Like you're never going to override the impulse, right? It's yeah. built in. But yeah. if you rewrite it, then you don't have to try. Yeah. You yeah. know, once you rewrite computer software, it just runs differently. Like it doesn't have to use willpower, right? It doesn't have to do affirmations. Every day. Right. It, right. It doesn't have yeah. to affirm. I am powerful software. No, it just runs differently. And so, <laughs> We're finally at a place where we can, we can start to revise the stuff that should be revised, leave the stuff that's working alone, and really start to become the creators we're meant to be. Yeah, I love that. And I want to circle back to the unconscious family autism because that's something that always creates a lot of ahas to people. I know that's, that's a body of work that you're an absolute master in. Uh, I had it from Sydney said, I've got a copy of Money Magic. Oh. Uh, Michelle, share again how the three brains cost us or help us earn. Yes, um, and uh, Money Magic is my my book. So yes, we think of our brain as a singularity, like it's one brain, but it's not. It's at least three, if not more, different brains that are kind of slapped together with really spotty interfacing. Frankly, mm -hmm. they're just kind of layered on top. It's like a government bureaucracy. Well, like one part of the brain does not know what's going on in the rest. And so when we think of our brain, we think of the cerebral cortex, like the big shiny wrinkly lobes we're so proud of as human beings, like to brag about the rest of the animal. Okay, look, how, look how wrinkly these lobes are. Like you get credit for wrinkles in this context, right? But that, that's what does abstract thought and meaning and creativity and time. We're the only creatures who do time. Time happens up here. This is why you will never see a wallaby with a day planner. <laughs> and consequences it does consequences but this part of the brain that does consequences is the last part of the brain to develop mm. so for women the cortex is fully developed somewhere between 20 and 25 years old for men somewhere between 25 to 30 or as my friend carl says somewhere between 30 and death like it's the last part of the brain to come online mm. the part that can that can do consequences and I had been teaching this for many years and we were um, 
we were on a Jeep tour, my partner and I out in the Southwest. We were the only people on the tour, so we had the guide to ourselves. And he started telling us stories because in his downtime, he would, do, he would go on rescue missions. He said 90% of the rescues they do are men 30 and under. 90% of the snake bites they treat are men 30 and under. And he said of those 90%, 95% of those snake bites are bites to the hands or the face. Like these are not bites to the feet or ankles, which gives you an idea of what was going on right before the snake had had enough. Because it takes a brain that can't really compute consequences to think a selfie with a snake is a good idea. It's the last part of the brain to develop. Your emotions come online somewhere around birth, in our experience before. And then there's the oldest part of the brain. Some people call it the reptile brain. It is fully functional in utero. And it's pretty much got two distinctions. There's fine and there's dead. Like if you're not dead, you're fine. It really could care less if you're happy. This part cares if you're happy. Mm. This just wants you to be alive. And so the way our beliefs get formed is we start having associations, like even in the womb. I'm here. It's like this, simultaneous, ergo related. So let's say if the parents are a little stressed out, I'm here. Life must be stressful. I must be stressful. I must be too much. Mm. Like all these associations can happen long before there's any cognitive thought. Mm. It's like a visceral association, kind of like if you've ever gone to a restaurant that you love, and then one time you get food poisoning. After that, anytime you think of that restaurant, it's like, whoa, it's Mm. a visceral kind of aversion. Even though you had maybe 40 good visits before, that was one trial learning. And so when there's tension or stress, anger, fear running for the parents, even floating around there in the womb, the kids feel it and they just start to make associations with it being about us and about the world. So money beliefs actually start as safety beliefs, basically. Am I okay? Is there going to be enough? Is everything okay? Some of all of probably everybody listening now got some confirmation of it's okay, or they probably wouldn't be listening here. They'd be living under a bridge, right? Yeah. And probably everybody had some experiences of, oh, maybe it's not going to be okay. Or they wouldn't be listening here. They'd be off, you know, kite surfing or whatever the hell, right? They'd be doing what they want to do. All of us have a bunch of contradictory different associations that become beliefs. So we don't have just one belief. We all have contradictory beliefs. So we'll have some beliefs on, oh, life's okay. I can do what I want. And then other beliefs of, oh, life is not, you know, you can't tell. You're not safe. You can't do what you want. Our experience tends to be the net out of all those associations and beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, which, which, which comes into uh, something that I still remember so much, and, and, and that is, remember Carl sharing, like the experiences that we learn to survive mm-hmm. become the experiences that our continued survival depends upon. That this part of our brain thinks we need to survive, right? Yeah. So if we've grown up in an environment feeling that that poverty or not feeling safe or not feeling loved or brought up in conflicting relationships, we learn to survive those experiences. And what we don't know is what the other side's like. Right. Even though logically, it's like logically, oh, we should be able to find someone and get happily married and, you know, be in all this beautiful, amazing love for the rest of our lives. So money's good. We're not yeah. logically, but yet logic is not driving a lot of those instinctual habits and behaviors right no because logic doesn't come into it until like seven eight years old and older and by then all this patterning is already laid down and it it cannot cancel it out 
So let's say if you're 30 years old, if you imagine a 30-story building, like one, one story for every year, the first three to six floors of a building are, is kind of the foundation of it. If you remodel the 30th floor, but the foundation is the same, you know, so you, let's say you expand the 30th, you, get, you go to a workshop, you get all these ideas, oh, expansive ideas, and you expand who you are at 30, but that foundation is the same. That's not sta- engineering-wise, that's not stable, right? To really have that whole structure be able to support a bigger life, you need to expand the foundation to match the expansion of the 30-year-old or the 40-year-old or the 60-year-old, right? Yeah. Which, which, which I guess further for entrepreneurs, business owners watching this, you know, maybe you're now starting to understand why your business is not quite growing the way that you think that it should. You may be not quite attracting the right people in or not quite as profitable. It's not about necessarily the strategy or tactics you're running. You know, we've had so many clients before that have run the same strategies in the same businesses and got completely different results because one worked on renovating the first, second, and third floor of their 30-story building, yet the other one chose to remodel the 30th floor and wonder why the thing's looking worse than the Tower of Pisa. Yeah, exactly. How many people do you know who do everything right and nothing works for them, right? And how many people do you know who they don't do anything right and somehow it always works out? And I've noticed right now, you know, we're still at the effects of a, a global pandemic. A lot of the people who've done this work with me through workshops and stuff have uh, have reached out and they said, you know, we're not sure how, but our business is actually flourishing. I was talking to my tax person because it was time to pay quarterly taxes. And I thought maybe my estimates would be lower because I had to cancel so many workshops, you know, refund a bunch of money. And so she said, well, how much have you made this year? And I went and looked it up and I'm actually ahead of last year. I have no idea how, right? I had to cancel a bunch of stuff and it's all working out. Like in ways I can't track when those beliefs change, our life really changes. Yeah. And it doesn't matter so much what's going in the outside world because what we experience in good times, there's always people who suffer and, and don't do well. In bad times, there's always people who do. It has so much to do with what you are creating. And that comes almost all from stuff you're not even aware you're running. It's funny because I'm having a similar experience and I was having a conversation with a friend the other day. It's like, you know, it's been the hardest six months of many people's lives, you know, like business-wise, you know, we're seeing something that, that we haven't seen before. And it's not to say that I haven't been faced with some very interesting situations to, to manage over the last six months, yet, like, just can't believe how much growth there is and how much opportunity there is and how amazing I feel inside, despite, like, this complete chaos. Like, sometimes you wouldn't even know what's going on unless you pick up social media or watch TV, and you see that Melbourne, uh, which I know you know Melbourne very, very well, just went back down to lockdown last week again, second time. Opened yeah. back up, shut back down six weeks. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, there is still a huge opportunity to, to move through this with grace and ease, providing that you're willing to, as you mentioned, renovate those, those first three floors. Mm-hmm. I've got a question here from Alan from Brisbane. If you're watching live, uh, start a watch party because I absolutely believe wholeheartedly uh, in the work that Michelle does and and the conversation we're having as well has made the biggest impact in my life far beyond uh, any strategy or tactics when it comes to business absolutely hands down so please start a watch party let more people know about this stuff Alan from Brisbane I'd like to know more about money magic uh, how it'll lead to a different mindset compared to what the law of attraction would bring I'm gonna love this this question Michelle well, I love the law of attraction thing. I think Abraham Hicks and Esther Hicks is, um, is amazing stuff. What they are focusing, however, is on what you can do consciously. 
consciously training your thoughts. Now, consciously, you can pay attention to between five to nine things at a time. Like that's how much conscious space you have to take to attend to anything. Yeah. Unconsciously, your system is processing two million things per second. So if you're doing affirmations or doing a, a focus wheel, in law of attraction terms, that's not a bad thing. But if the other 23 hours of the day, your system is broadcasting, not enough, not safe, not okay, not okay, got to work hard, got to work hard, money doesn't grow on trees, you know, the change is going to be really slow. It's like trying to get the water in the tap to, to warm up when you've got the cold water running full blast. When those things that are running below the surface, when those change to like, actually, life can work out, there is enough, like, you know, I deserve good things, wonderful things can happen. When those are running 24 hours a day, it takes almost no effort to get the stuff you want to show up. Like you almost don't even have to do those affirmations. and You actually don't have to do the affirmations and the focus wheel stuff. When you've got this stuff running automatically that this can happen, this can work out, life is good, but, you know, all it takes then is a desire, typically, to have stuff start to show up. Out of, out of curiosity, I'd love to know your opinion or your belief on this. Like, once you've done the work, is it an ongoing thing? Like, I know, I know, the, I know the work never stops, right? But once you get to a point where a lot of those, you know, the, the first, second, third story are cleaned up, do you mm-hmm. feel that there's a requirement to do constant and ongoing work to maintain that level of like self-belief and self-esteem or is it more natural and consistent the way that I guess those other belief systems were before we started working on them? When we've revised a bunch of the old stuff, things do tend to work out easier without us having to try very hard. What happens is though, then we expand. Mm. And every time we expand, we will often hit find limitations we didn't even know were there to work on because we never, like I, my business went through a huge expansion uh, a year ago and I discovered all these beliefs I didn't even know I had because I'd never expanded that far. And so it's not that you have to keep doing it, you know, all the time because you're actually here to live, not, not spend all your time mucking around inside your own head or actually having somebody else muck around in there with you. It works much better that way. But there are periods yeah, like yeah. when there's, it's a really good time when you're expanding to get a lot of that stuff cleared out and then you enjoy the, the fruits of that until it feels like the next round of stuff is, is ready to move, right? Yeah, it was a beautiful articulation in that, in that as well. And I guess that expansion, uh, we maybe start to experience things from different areas of life that we hadn't worked on in the past as well. Like maybe we, we clean a bunch of stuff up around money or around business, but then business and money expands and all of a sudden we start hitting some stuff in relationship and mm-hmm. levels of love and safety in that. Um, fantastic. So let's circle back a little bit to this unconscious family loyalties because I know often when you share this concept with people the first time, they're like, wait, that's just way too, weird. what do you mean I can take on board patternings from up to 10 generations before me of people I've never even met? Mm-hmm. Do you want to kind of distill and break down a little bit like what are unconscious family loyalties? Mm-hmm. How do they work? And I guess how are they keeping us stuck as right. well? Well, I discovered this through the work of a man named Bert Hellinger, who, uh, who died last September, but I got to learn from him when he was still in his prime. He'd seen Virginia Satir, a famous American psychotherapist, doing something she called family constellations, which I think were closer a little bit to psychodrama. But he took her work and he started to notice the ways that patterns would repeat generationally in families. 
in his experience, this was sourced a lot out of a drive to belong. Because sadly, like human beings will die to belong. It's one of our, high, our, our biggest criteria. The drive to belong is so strong. If we didn't have that drive so strong, war would not be possible. Telling people, you know, yeah, go get yourself blown up because we would like that. Like that sourced purely out of belonging. Well, testosterone helps, but mostly like it'd be hard to get people to do that without that huge drive to belong. And human beings, they measure their belonging in its crudest form. Like human beings measure their belonging in terms of conformity. So when we're like the people we're with or we come from, we feel like we belong. When we are different, we feel our our belonging feels threatened. Now, this is in nature where all of nature is designed to produce diversity, right? There's no two snowflakes the same, no two walnuts the same, like nothing is the same. And yet human beings get squirrely about being different because it feels like we don't belong. I'd been teaching this for years and I was listening to a podcast somewhere and an an advertisement came on in the middle of the podcast and they were talking about the belonging effect. Scientists now recognize the belonging effect, like how important that is for people. And so they were saying, so buy our matching hats and t-shirts. That's what this company does, matching hats and t-shirts. Like, oh, you want your people to feel like they belong? Get them matching hats and t-shirts. Like conformity, conformity, conformity. So how this plays out for human beings is if we come from people who struggled and we are not struggling, it feels bad. We feel like we feel like we don't belong. We feel guilty when we have it better than the people we come from. Mm. And so we will often unconsciously sabotage to make sure that life isn't too much better. Is this, is this why like many, many entrepreneurs reach a certain income level that randomly equates to similar to what their parents earn. Like I've noticed this time and time again, entrepreneurs get stuck at this level without them even knowing. And they'll yep. go back and ask mum and dad, hey, like where's your income level? And like, holy shit, is that a coincidence that I'm kind of at that same level? Yeah. Yeah. Or they'll get there, if something difficult happened, they'll get their life to replicate it in some ways. I can't tell you how many people I meet. When we find out what's at the root of it, it's from not even the generation before, but two generations past. Yeah. You know, I was working with this woman and she said, you know, at work is just a battlefield. There's like this mind's going off all day long. It's just explosion after explosion, like all this war, Mm. you know, like it's just such a battlefield at work. Now, mind you, she was a volunteer part-time in a local county museum. Like she's not working on a stock floor trading. When we found out what was at the cause, I would have never guessed. She would have never guessed. But her father was in World War II. He was fighting in the Pacific. The Japanese were shelling. He jumped into a crater. Everybody jumped on top of him because otherwise they were just out in the open. The crater took a direct hit. Everybody else in that crater died except him. All those bodies on top of him absorbed the, the explosion and he actually survived. He was trapped there for three days by the weight of the bodies until the burial crews came and got him out. They didn't even know anybody was in there alive. So because he had had such scarring experiences in war, she was recreating it, not consciously, that would be not so, but she was creating battle zones throughout her life. When that shifted, all of a sudden everything got, actually, I think she ended up leaving and finding a place that was much, much nicer to work, right? 
Like all of a sudden, that was not an attractive place to work. It was never attractive, but there was a draw there, right? It's just so fascinating how unconsciously mm-hmm. we attract it and we draw in these experiences that mm-hmm. just emulate yes. the, the patterning that we're carrying. Yeah. And I've had it happen with people who were adopted at birth, didn't know anything about their biological families. And later when they do find out something, they realize they've replicated the lives of those people, even though they didn't know anything about them consciously. That's how deep it runs. Fascinating. Yeah. Michelle, how can people find out more about this? I know you've got a couple of fantastic workshops that you run, uh, Money Major. I think you've actually got one coming up next week. Yeah, actually, uh, this in like two days, um, we're going to be streaming live Money Magic um, at Australian Friendly Times. I think it's going to, it's uh, my Thursday, Friday, your Friday, Saturday, um, 8 to 4 AEST on your Friday, Saturday. Uh, It's two days of all kinds of change work focused on money. But so there's work on beliefs, lots of work on beliefs. There's work on the sense of worth, on changing that for people. There's a bunch of work on the family loyalty pieces because these are the main things that keep people stuck. So it's like getting five to ten, you know, sessions for the price of about one. It's a lot of change in two days. Yeah. Um, And because we're live streaming, we're not coming there. We've been able to keep the price lower than usual. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so it's a good option if anybody can make it. If not, there are many ways to get high-quality change work that, you know, I can share if people want to reach out with me or somebody else. Yeah. There's lots of options. What's the best way for them to contact you? I get Rafi uh, to put a comment, to put a URL uh, in the comment below. What's the best way to get you? Um, email works really well. Yeah. I'm, I'm very prone to respond to email. Okay. <laughs> yeah. what's, your, what's your email? Well, you can do it through my website, michellemastersnlp.com, or you can do michellemastersnlp at yahoo.com. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so we'll put the link below. Uh, please reach out. As, as someone who's been working with Michelle for, for many, many years now, attended your workshops, some of the best investment I've ever made in myself and guaranteed to get a huge amount of transformation and shift. As you said, it's like, I think it's like more like a dozen or more change work sessions over that two-day period of time. So please feel free to reach out to Michelle, uh, connect with us a bunch of different ways you can work together. Michelle, I'm so grateful for having you on the show today, for the huge influence you've had in my life as well. And, you know, a lot of the teachings from you and Carl and my NLP teachers have gone into uh, my book, The Path to Freedom, because, you know, what I really experienced in that is, you know, for freedom from finance, it's freedom from time. But more importantly, this last piece we spoke about here is uh, I was actually locked. I got locked. I tried to fly home to Bali about six weeks ago and got stopped in immigration and got locked up for four nights because it uh, turns out I had somehow attracted a uh, fraudulent KITAS. And so it went from like it's not registered till on the fourth day they're like, oh, we're going to throw you in jail for having this KITAS. And uh, fortunately I've, I've got friends and was able to, to find a lawyer to bribe my way out and get back to Australia. Uh, with no record of me ever being in Indonesia. But uh, the funny thing was, is that during that period of time, I'm like, like, what am I doing here? Like, how have I brought this? Why have I brought this into my life? And I experienced so much freedom and liberation in, in that cell. It was the strangest thing. I was like, holy shit, like, this could be it for me. Yet I just feel so happy and content in myself. I feel so happy and content in the life that I've created and the legacy that, that we, you know, the vision that we've rolled out at the Game Changers. And on the way home, it was like I got the forward, the preface of the book just downloaded on the plane ride home. Wow. And I felt that I got to experience what true freedom was. 
Mm. And that was freedom from constraint, freedom from past patterning and beliefs, freedom from any perceptions or concepts around money or time or any other sort of stuff. And I also believe that I could have had that before I reached the financial and time freedom. I could have had the freedom within me. And I didn't have to go through what I went through, but that's the gift that I'm offering and, and looking to give entrepreneurs is how can you find that even before the money or the time comes? How can you find freedom in you? As you said, like there is no two walnuts the same, yet we have this crazy thing as human beings where we try to emulate or be like others. And if we're yeah. not, it's like we're allowed to affect our, our worth. And I just see just how much, I guess, pain and suffering it creates people. And I know for myself how much pain and suffering I went through to be to where I'm at. So. Uh, I think if, if through the work that we do, we can help even one person to, to not experience that, uh, the world would be a better place. Yeah. Could I say just one thing to folks? Absolutely. Because as I've been traveling, I, well, I used to travel before all this, but I was traveling so much for the last couple of years all over the world. And I was noticing this huge acceleration of consciousness all over the globe, like in places I never expected to see it. At, at very traditional business conferences, huge expansion of consciousness. On the surface, things didn't look that different, but below the surface, the changes were enormous. Mm. And I kept thinking, something's got to give. I, I got to tell you, this is not how I imagined it would play out, but there's this huge global reset going on. This is going to be part of a huge leap forward. And so if anyone's dealing with either economic fears or fears of the virus, I just want them to know it's not the end days. This is the beginning days, yeah. really, where we're creating a whole new world. Yeah. And the world we've been dreaming of. And I'm so grateful for ev- for you and everybody like you and everybody listening who is imagining something better because that's part of what brings it to us. So I just want to say thank you to you and everybody. Amazing things are coming. Thanks and I hope show. to see, share them with you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you, everyone, if you watch this either live uh, on the replay. Please feel free to keep the comments coming. We'll make sure that we get the questions answered as well. And uh, would love very much the support to go through and start a watch party. More people need to understand and hear about this work. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Game Changers podcast. Uh, there's a couple of things I'd love you to do to help us and help yourself to spread the message further. Uh, make sure that you like the Game Changers on Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, please subscribe by clicking the link below to ensure that you keep up to date with the weekly episodes we uh, share here at the Game Changers podcast with amazing entrepreneurs and business owners around the world. And of course, like if you're in a position where you may be overwhelmed with business or looking for a way to grow faster, more effectively, and you realize that the key to success is being surrounded by amazing people who have been there and done that before, I'd like to invite you to apply to have a game plan session one-on-one with one of my team here at The Game Changers. There's no cost. If you get through, uh, all that we ask is that you are doing a minimum of $250,000 per year to really be able to utilize the strategies and tactics and the mindset shifts that we share with you, uh, that you're coachable, that you're a decent person and you're, you're willing to take on board some advice. If not, that's totally cool. Uh, but I know for me, I wouldn't be where I'm right now without the support of so many mentors and coaches and resources along the way. And I'd like to pay that forward and give back to you the opportunity to work with uh, us one-on-one for free to put together a customized game plan. And the reason we're doing this is a couple of things. Number one is that sometimes it's just the smallest thing that can make the biggest difference. And uh, I think that entrepreneurs and business owners have the opportunity to change the world. 
And if we can maybe help you to, to make the smallest shift to change your life and your world, uh, you're changing ours in return. The second thing is that we are always looking for amazing clients to work with and to welcome into and invite into the Game Changers community. And so if at the end of the call, you do feel that there's a huge amount of value there, uh, that we fit, feel that there's a great values fit there, we can have a conversation about working together. But uh, this game plan call, there's absolutely no obligations to work with whatsoever. Allow us to help you with uh, the years and years and years of, of knowledge that we have in growing and scaling great companies. And uh, I think that uh, business owners are the future of the world. If there's a way that we can help you to create a better business, more profit, more fulfillment, more fun, I would love the opportunity to do that now. So click the link below, book your game plan session. Make sure you follow us on social and start to date with the latest episodes of the Game Changers podcast. My name's Barry William Magliddy. Thank you so much for your support and look forward to seeing the next one. Happy now.